Today is August 24th, 2020, and this is Sam Walking in the World, episode 15. I'm jam-packed as usual today, but it seems like it spreads out nicely across all my categories. Um, and stupid stuff, I have something to say about my dog for my walk this morning. Um, in happiness hints, I'm going to talk a little bit about reaching beyond your grasp. It's a common expression, um, some examples from my own life. Um, some lifey stuff. I'm going to talk about the schizophrenia of comp- of commitments. Sorry, the schizophrenia of commitments. Um, and you'll understand what I mean when I explain that. And then in larger stuff, I'm going to talk about the good kind of selfish. Right? Um, I've had conversations with people about what is and isn't selfish, and some people say everything is selfish ultimately. But I will get to some analysis of that as the program moves along. But first, let me get right to my stupid stuff. And as usual, I take my walk with the dog in the morning. We, we really hit the sweet spot this morning, like 10 minutes to 5. Between 10 minutes to 5 and 5 o'clock is the sweet spot. It's the sweet spot because it is still dark, so the stars are really, really bright in the sky. Um, it's early enough that absolutely nobody's out, even on a Monday morning. And um, it's right around, it's amazing how they can do it exactly the same every day, but it's right around five minutes to five that the birds start chirping. And being that my house is at the end of a cul-de-sac, on one side it's kind of divided from the rest of the neighborhoods by this creek with a whole bunch of woods, um, there are a lot of birds. There are a lot of animals. What I used to think were birds are really tree frogs, but I guess it doesn't make a difference to me. Um, And they just begin making their noise in the morning. seem to do it at exactly the same time. So it's like a a world that we're in when we do it at the right time. And we did it at the right time this morning. And so we were out taking our walk. And um, my usual protocol when I'm walking the dog is I'll have a whole bunch of those mini milk bones. No, not the medium ones, not the small ones, the mini ones, the ones that probably are the length of a quarter, and they're thin, like like a bone. And I'll put like 20 of them in my pocket. And me, she may eat them all, she may not, but as we start to make our journey down the street, I mean, it's first thing in the morning, so she's hungry, and she's also curious, and she's not on her leash, so she's running around. And... Um, She'll run off chasing a rabbit and then end up about, I don't know, 30 seconds later, come flying back out of the woods and get a treat. And I can tell she wants one even as she's approaching. She'll slow down. She'll kind of come over to the side that I usually pull them out of my sweatshirt pocket on. And uh, I'll usually just hand her one. And there's that awkward transition of it going from my fingers, which she doesn't want to bite in this particular instance, into her mouth. And I got thinking like, I have to do something better than that. I don't know why, probably my OCD. But I started dropping them on the ground. She would come over, and I would drop it on the ground. She would pick it up. If I'm lost in thought, when she comes running back, she'll start walking next to me a little bit, and then she'll kind of do that, like, half jump up, like that, like, you know, not really committed jump up with one paw, kind of push me on the hip. And then I'll drop one, and then she'll eat it. And I started to try and get ready for it before it came, and I would drop it early. And then this morning, I started doing this thing, which it, it really seems to work. I'm going to 
I don't know why I'm telling you all this, by the way, but I'm, but I'm going to. I would have my hand hanging down off the, just the side of my body, and she would come and just touch her wet nose against my fingers. Just like a little, little tap with her nose. And I would reach in my pocket and get one out and drop it down. And I really liked it. I was like, she's not being pushy, but she's just reminding me that this is what we do. And it's kind of the reason why she keeps coming back instead of running off and then running off further from that point. She always kind of hones back in. And so we started doing it. And then I started thinking, you know what? When she touches my nose, I mean, when she touches her nose to my hand, I'm going to toss it forward like four or five feet. That way she keeps moving in the direction I want her to go. in. because if I just drop it on the floor right next to my feet, it's like pick up, chomp, swallow. I want another one. And then we don't really get to move anywhere. Or the whole time we're walking, she's doing her half jump push with her foot. If you got any of that, um, then you understand. If you have a dog, you probably definitely understand. Um, that it made our walk a lot better. because, And it trained her a little bit. It got her some nose work in because it's so dark out. She'll initially hear the sound of the mini bone falling on the road. And then... She'll go in that direction, and then she'll have to kind of zero in with her nose. So uh, I'm giving her some reps in her nose work, so to speak. Um, anyway, it seems to work out. And I tend to go through fewer bones because there's less immediacy, but she gets the other one. As I told you in a previous episode about um, taste, her taste per palate ratio. Okay, um, and it got me thinking too, like, she is really cute and now everybody says that about their dog and like you know like my 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 little baby is so smart yeah i know i've seen smart kids before or you know my my dog is so cute she's the cutest like yeah she's probably very cute i don't know if there's any official ranking but um i've heard people say this and i don't know why i say it to myself guess kind of making fun of the people that i've heard say this but they'll be like Oh my God, you're so cute. I just want to eat you up. Ever comedians joke about this too. Like, oh my God, don't you just want to eat her up? Thinking to myself, no, I don't really want to eat her. She'd probably be gamey. And then she'd be gone. I have to go dog shopping for another cute dog. And I'm sure I would go by cuteness again as my metric. And then I'd probably just end up eating another dog. And then how would I break that cycle? All right, I've said too much. Moving on, I made another note. Um, and this is kind of stupid stuff, but I guess it's also kind of lifey stuff. I've noticed that in my own life, I can kind of look back and gauge my the, the level of my immaturity. And as I believe I've seen it dissipate somewhat over time. And one of the symptoms, the barometers... I think, of immaturity is extreme assessments. Extreme assessments. What do I mean? I mean, something is always the best, the greatest, or the worst. It sucks. And in situations where it cannot possibly be those two extremes, but what the person is really saying is, I like this one much more than the other one. But they, it's, that's not enough for the immature mind. You can't just say it is your preference that something is better than another thing because it's better to you. It's got to be better to the world. 
I've seen this in school. Kids would be arguing with each other about which baseball player, well, actually not really baseball player, basketball player, football player was the best. And it would ultimately devolve into this argument where your guy sucks and my guy's the best. And usually they would attach their own identity to it too. Like, you suck. I'm the best. Which is just a reach so far. That bridge goes right into the water. But I now try to resist the urge to say something is better than something else. If they're in the same ballpark, I'll just be like, I like this one more. Oh, I like that one. Oh, you like that one? I like this one more. Here's why I like this one. Why do you like that one? Oh, see, I don't really see that as a highlight. That does not a plus to me. So maybe that's why I think that one isn't as good as this one to me. But there are some people, I swear to God, it is all extremes. And these are usually the one-uppers. Like, you could say something that was really good. And if they, in their index of awesomeness, have something that's better than that thing, then they have to say, oh, you think that's good? That sucks compared to this. And I just want to walk away from those people. Wow, that was fast. I got through two of those quickly. So I'm going to take a quick break, and I will be right back with Happiness Hints. You are listening to Sam Walking in the World, episode 15. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 15. That message was brought to you by a sophisticated man leaning against the bar smoking a cigarette. Now, moving on to happiness hints. Um, I've heard the expression <clears throat> many times, reach beyond your grasp. And I, I understand it. It means don't, don't limit yourself. Uh, always try to grow. You know, if there's something more you can learn, try to, try to learn that too continue developing. Try for things that you might not have thought you could do. Reach beyond your grasp. So I imagine somebody reaching out their arm, trying with their fingers like in a movie to get a hold of that thing that's the grenade or the uh, eject hatch or whatever it is they can't reach in the car to get out of the car or wherever. And uh, I, that, that's how I picture it. Reaching, trying to get beyond your grasp. And um, I thought about it, thought about it, and I think, I think first, before that, it's even more important to reach all the way to the end of your grasp. I feel like most of the time our grasp is further than we think it is. And we are short-arming it. You know, like a a wide receiver going across the middle knows he's about to get hit by a linebacker, so he pulls his arms in like an alligator because he doesn't want to catch the ball because that means he's going to get hit. <clears throat> Sometimes I think we alligator arm it. And I know I have. And uh, I know that I've seen other people in my life that have. And I think I kind of understand why. Um, sometimes it's easier to let someone else do something for you. Sometimes it prevents the the potential failure that might happen if you do discover that it's outside your grasp. You have to perceive yourself as a failure or others will see you as a failure. I understand all of that. And, and all of it, to a large extent, is true. But it's amazing what's out there in the last inch of your grasp if you just actually reach all the way out. I think, and, and no offense here, right? I don't want to get in any political correctness trouble, but I want to say right off the bat, I don't mean any offense to the stupid. You know, their ancestors came here looking for a better life just the way ours did. But 
that most things are made so that even stupid people can do them. And again, like I said, all stupid people should be welcome in this country. Um, any system, any system of directions, like for putting something together or for uh, opening something up, for setting something up, usually if you're smart enough to have gotten the thing, you've demonstrated enough intelligence to be able to do whatever it is you're supposed to do. So long as you do what you're doing, remember, cardinal rule, age quod agis, do what you're doing. And so you brought home the desk in pieces and you have to assemble it and you look at the directions and maybe get a third of the way through before you say, I can't read these. If you're on a desert island and that was uh, the assembly instructions to a rowboat, believe me, the rowboat would get built. I know I would. Or at least I would die trying. So I think once you've got the thing home, it's a matter of just committing yourself to trying. And I think nine times out of ten, it is within your grasp. What happens then is you discover there are think more things in your grasp than you thought there were. And like the radius from the center point in the circle, you start twirling around, wondering what else you thought might have been out of your grasp, but suddenly realize, wow, when I reach this far, I do know how to do that. Next thing you know, you're changing tires and putting your, your own covers on cell phones and you're like a super person to other people who have still not yet begun to reach to the end of their grasp. And I think reaching beyond your grasp ends up happening automatically because you build your reaching muscles by reaching to the end of your grasp. If you do it long enough, eventually those muscles are going to respond before you know it reach a couple centimeters further than what your grasp was. And now that's within your grasp, and so on and so forth. Um, in my experience, it's been both empowering and frustrating because I'll see that something is very possible for me to do if I apply myself. And I'll know that the people who are asking me for help with these things in their own life probably could do them if they reach beyond their grasp. It would also empower them. But then, of course, then they'd have to do it. And that's that's really where the rubber meets the road. You feel like getting off your butt and doing it. Or the risk, the risk of doing it wrong and then having to suffer having done it wrong. I don't have to go buy another desk. It's probably worth it. It's probably worth buying another desk to try your very best to put the desk together and fail. I think you get more out of that experience than you lose in, in second desk purchase money. Ran out of words there. You know what I mean. Um, so in general, I think rather than trying to reach beyond your grasp, first take the opportunity for the next thing that you see in your life that normally you would be like, I got to ask somebody to do this. Try to do it yourself. I do it. Sometimes I'm disappointed. Sometimes I feel like Superman. And then I feel like Superman with a whole bunch of jobs for other people to do. But that's neither here nor there. And we're moving on, but before I talk about the next thing, I want to do a quick language thing. I I like it too, I want to admit. I like saying things in Latin, like Aj quadages. But they're used very commonly in certain, you know, spheres where people use them all the time and kinda of know what they mean, but not really. Like ad hoc. Like we're putting together an ad hoc committee. Which ad hoc committee do you belong to? You know what we need? We need an ad hoc committee. 
And my friends and I were actually arguing about it, not arguing, talking about what it meant. And we're the kind of people who will abandon anything else we're doing and embed ourselves in a conversation about something completely inane, which I recommend. And we were talking about ad hoc. And so everyone always says, you should look it up. So I just wait, put it in the hopper, and later on I look it up. And ad hoc means as, as necessary. So you're doing something that you had not planned to have a committee for, this was some part of it, and then that part comes up and you go, wow, we need a little more time making a decision about this thing. We can't just keep moving forward. So, Or, or we can't move forward as quickly. So before we get to the next big point here, we need a resolution on this thing. So why don't you three think about what would be a good way to do that. And when we get there, then we'll have an idea because now we know it's necessary to think a little bit more about it as necessary. Ad hoc. That's how ad hoc committees get put together, and that's actually what it means. So now you have that. I will take one more quick break before I get to lifey stuff because I know I'm going to be talking about that for a little while, and I want to get a drink. So I will be back right after this short message. Welcome back, everybody. That message was brought to you by a smoky-eyed woman looking back at the handsome man at the bar smoking a cigarette. Now, in lifey things, I want to talk about commitments. I had a conversation yesterday about commitments and how people sometimes meet them, sometimes break them. Um, sometimes they're commitments to other people or institutions, jobs, whatever. Sometimes they're commitments to self. And, um, and I wanted to talk a little bit about the schizophrenia of commitments. Whether it's a commitment to quit something, I want to quit smoking. Or I'm going to quit eating fatty food. Or starting something. I'm going to start working out. I'm going to start doing my job more conscientiously. Whatever it is. And a while ago, I like I normally do, I end up finding having end up trying to find a way to say something in a way that captures it, so that all the meaning is in there, and I can kind of just wrap it up and put it away. And then anytime it comes up, is has relevance, not relevancy, has relevance. To something going on, I'll pull it out and remind myself of that. Kind of like tenets, which is T-E-N-E-T-S. Not tenants, like those people you can't get out of the apartment you own. Anyway, I came up with this one. Commitments are not promises made for the future, but choices made in the present. And they can only be measured by looking back into the past. I'll say it again. Commitments are not promises made for the future, but choices made in the present. And they can only be measured by looking back into the past. In other words, they're not promises for the future. I'm not making a grand pronouncement. I am done smoking. That does not mean I have made a commitment. It means I've said the words. But it's just, just like a promise. I may or may not keep the promise. They are actually choices made in the present. For example, I just woke up, I told myself I was going to be working out more to lose weight. Right now, what choice am I making? Am I doing the thing? Or if I'm trying to quit, am I not doing the thing? Right now. And right now. And right now. And and they can only really be measured looking back. You can only you can't really say, Am I committed to something? You can say, Have I been committed to something? 
because you have to look back at each of those instances to see when I woke up, did I smoke a cigarette? Did I eat a donut? Did I go for a run? I don't know why I'm focusing on fitness. I don't know, just for, for an analogy. But they can only be measured by looking back. You can't say I'm committed to something. You have to say I've been committed to something. And the point is, by then, you don't even really need to make the grand pronouncement because other people know you've been doing it. Um, like, oh, my gosh, it looks like you've lost weight. Yeah, I've been, I've been committed. Anyway. And here's what's sick schizophrenic about it. If your people say you're only cheating on yourself, oh, don't do that. You know you're only cheating on yourself. And and it's true, but it becomes this crazy dynamic where, like, you make a promise to yourself. Then, in that moment of truth, when someone offers you a cigarette or, or you know, you're, you're going through the Dunkin' Donuts drive-thru to get coffee... You have to remember what you told yourself. That other self that you made the promise to, that made the promise. Can this self keep the promise? Right? Can you resist the urge for that immediate pleasure so that you can get the attaboy that will come from the other guy, the other you that made the promise? And it's hard. It's hard. It's so easy for that present moment me. To, to find some way of going back on the promise that the other me made. I, and, and therein, I guess, is the truest way a person can lose self-worth. Just as if you were depending on someone else to do something, and they said they were going to do it, and they were, honestly, they meant it. They were committed to doing it. And then the moment came when they were supposed to do it, and didn't you would you would rightfully i mean accurately think to yourself wow i i i have to think of that person as less reliable but how odd it is when you are the person you are now considering less reliable it creates this this chain reaction of lying or suppressing or blaming, or whatever it is that makes it so the you and the you don't have to have it out. And then what happens is the cycle just keeps repeating. Like, say, for example, the next morning. The moment of truth comes, you made the promise last night, and you're in, back in it again. And it's just really, really difficult. Um, but I know this. If you do make it past that moment of truth, you do get the attaboy from the other self. And then those two selves start to grow closer to each other. I hope I'm not getting way out there for some people, but this is just kind of what's going through my mind right now. And I think this is what it means when someone says they are one with themselves. The distance between the promising self and the moment of truth self starts to close. And eventually, I mean, I don't know if it can ever happen, but ideally you become one with yourself. Where there isn't really a promise. There's just doing. I don't know why everything seems to come back to doing with me. But it's just so funny that that you got a person A inside you and you got a person B inside you. And if person B lets down person A, worlds collide. <clears throat> All right. Anyway, that's enough about that. I guess I got through that a little bit faster than I thought I was going to get through that. 
So I will take one more quick break and I'll be back with larger things. Welcome back to Sam Walking in the World, episode 15. That message was brought to you by, uh-oh, I don't see the man or the woman in the bar anymore. I wonder where they went. Now, moving on to larger things. In larger things today, I'm going to talk about the good kind of selfish. And um, it's kind of oxymoronic, meaning it doesn't seem to make sense to itself, sort of. That was a terrible explanation of oxymoronic, but you'll understand what I mean. But the good selfish is the kind of selfish that's actually for other people. Like, actually for other people. Right? It's the feeling of pure pleasure that you get when you make someone else's life a little better, a little bit easier in some way. It could be a small way. It could be a big way. But I mean pure pleasure, not derivative pleasure which is the kind that comes from letting other people know that you help somebody. Least of all, them. Reminding them of what a great thing you did for them. I know people like this. Uh, or, or how about this, accidentally letting it be known. You know where, you, where you, you happen to mention it on purpose, but you fool yourself into thinking that you didn't, so that way you can bask in the glow of other people's admiration for doing something that you did so that you would eventually lead your way to that admiration. Not the betterment or the, the helpfulness to the other person. Um, I was almost going to tell you something nice that I did as an example of how I didn't tell anybody something, something nice that I did. So you know what? I'm not going to tell you. Um, or maybe that counts as telling you. Oh my God, it's like a double helix. Anyway, I've also heard this one where someone will tell one person. They'll come up to you like, listen, don't tell anybody because I don't want everyone to think I did this so everybody would know about it. And, you know, look at me. I'm doing something nice for people. So just do me a favor. Don't tell anybody. Please. Please. All you want is for it to be broadcast. You just broadcasted it. You leaked it. And, and you know what? This is why I don't believe that there ever really actually been unidentified flying objects, um, you know, like found. Or like that there's uh, an alien body at, uh, in, in New Mexico or in some government installation area 51. The reason why I don't believe it is because there's one thing you can count on human beings to do invariably. It's not keep their mouth shut. People, least of all governments, cannot keep their mouth shut. Eventually, eventually, if there were aliens, there eventually there would be enough personal incentive to go along with our natural selfishness. There would be enough personal incentive to enrich them, themselves or, or to hurt somebody else. That's the bad selfish. That the secret would get out. I just don't think we're capable for the betterment of others of keeping secrets because people in those positions, I, I think, tend to be selfish. I'm sure there are some exceptions, but that's why when you tell one person about something nice that you did, you got to check your motive. I try, try, try not to do it, but I guess when I need a, when I need a self-esteem boost, I'll, I'll throw something in there artificially like a, like a stimulus package throwing a whole bunch of money into the economy that was never earned by anybody just so that they'll spend it and 
then there'll be more action and you'll feel better and maybe you'll be work more and then spend more. I don't even know how it works. But I kind of think of it like that. And I try not to do it. Um, but I feel bad right now for, and I, I don't know if this is ever for posterity because I will ever listen to this after today or this year or whatever, but we're going through COVID, the coronavirus, COVID-19. Again, this is August uh, 2020. We'll always look back on this time because it's been so long, so annoying. But I really, really feel bad for the truly unselfish. Because, and most of them, the ones that I know are older people because they have life experience. I think of a particular friend of mine who's an older woman who is just living the right way. And because she's older and, and, and therefore in a category where she has to be especially careful about protecting herself from getting sick until this COVID thing passes, this person finds himself generally alone or connecting via media that are not really the same as being in person. And I know for a fact that this person has the good selfish where her fuel, her source, and I'm sure this is true for many people, their, their fuel, their source, their, their sustenance comes from that pure feeling they get when they help somebody or listen to somebody or do something for somebody else. And not so they can share it, not so they can post it or, or tweet it or whatever, crap it out in some way on social media, um, but purely because they feel good when they help other people. And the number of opportunities for them to do that are diminished. So there is really a fuel shortage right now in the hearts of many people who truly get that joy from helping other people because they just can't be around them. And when I hear people discuss the pros and cons of shutdowns when it comes to COVID, I and I hear people always say, well, there's the unseen damage that we're doing by shutting down. And sometimes I wonder if they're just making the argument for their political side, but there is some truth to it. You know, like with addictions, people have trouble when they go through circumstances like this. A lot of people relapse on their addictions. A lot of people fall back into depression. But I think for a lot of the good people who have figured it out and understand that that pure pleasure comes from doing something for someone else, it's been stolen from them. I wonder what damage is being done to these people because there's a lockdown. Is it or isn't it more damage than is done to the people who get sick or die from the disease, from the virus? So I know for a fact that that is something. And if I multiply it by all the good people I know, there's a lot of damage being done. So I'm not making an argument one way or the other for what degree of lockdown there should be with COVID or anything like that. I'm just saying there exists this phenomenon for people who have really figured it out that helping other people gives pure pleasure. Because the other people who do it so that other people will know they did it, they can still do it. Once you're in the realm of fake, you might as well just go for broke. But I don't know, kind of sending out a prayer to that person. Um, hoping that they are able to sustain through this because they really do live for other people. And when there aren't other people around, what is there to live for? I don't mean that in a bad way. I mean that in a good way. Generally, I just have great admiration for this person and I wish them well. 
Um, and with that, I have come to the end of this episode, episode 15. I hope you enjoyed listening to me. I enjoyed talking to you. As always, I hope to see you again soon, hopefully tomorrow.